Our readings from Colossians chapter 1. If you want to look it up on your phone. Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ian. That's great. Um, right. Um, ladies and gents, may I introduce you Andy Flanagan? Give him a little whoop and a cheer as he comes up. Thanks, Paul. Um, I'm going to pray for Andy and then yes, we'll, let you, we'll let you loose, Andy, okay? <laughs> um, Father, we, uh, Lord, we just thank you for Andy. Lord, we thank you for who he is. Lord, we thank you for the way that you love him, that you know him, the way you've crafted him and grown him. And Father, for what he carries and for what he's going to pour out of his heart tonight to us. And Jesus, we just pray, fill him with your spirit, let his words be yours, and open our hearts to receive them. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks so much, Bob. Well, good evening. Good, good, good to see you. Um, it's nice to be able to look all the way around and see everybody. Is there anybody upstairs? No, there's not. I'll check. Um, it is wonderful to be with you, and uh, my name's Andy Flanagan, as you've heard already, and as you can tell from the accent, I'm from Luton, and uh, yeah, happily, but now happily since uh, April the 12th, uh, we've been residents of Pinho, and uh, on behalf of myself and Jen and the kids, I just want to offer huge heartfelt thanks. There are so many people in this room who have blessed us so much as we have arrived in the midst of COVID, uh, having COVID, and, and so, many, so many of you here have blessed us and prayed for us, uh, various medical things, various practical things, and the, the warmth and kindness we've experienced from this community in arriving here has made arriving here an absolute joy. So be encouraged at how welcoming and how wonderful you are. Pat yourselves on the back if you, if you, if you, if you can do that. Um, we've got an incredible passage that you've just heard that Ian read, and hopefully it'll build a little bit on, on Jenny's wonderful talk of last week as we dive into this theme that we have for the summer, everyone, everywhere, every day, um, which could be a little bit uh, tiring to think about. Everyone, every day, everywhere. And I want to try and sort of help us. I want to widen our gaze all the way 
out and then bring our gaze all the way back in. And we're going to start looking at this passage because it is utterly incredible. It's, it's a privilege to be bringing this passage. And John specifically asked if I could share a little bit about what I do in my work. And um, part of my job is leading this thing called Christians in Politics, um, which is encouraging, supporting, and resourcing and networking various Christians who are getting involved in the world of politics. It does what it says in the tin. And I'll share a little bit more about that later. But it, it, I'm just thinking, guys, it might actually be God's timing. Thinking about politics, there is a there is someone who's looking for a job, just at the minute, and I'm just thinking, as an executive assistant for you two, he might be, he might, would you, would you consider, would you, I, I don't know, we'll talk about it later, we'll talk about it later, as you're going to find out later on, um, his path and my, somebody's dying of laughter, his, his, his path and my path crossed recently at the National Parliamentary Prayer Breakfast uh, that you might have heard about. It was my privilege to be leading the worship at that prayer breakfast that um, apparently where the Holy Spirit brought down a government. Um, uh, quite incredible. And we'll, we're going to actually show you a little bit of the, what happened there uh, later on. It was an incredible, it was an incredible morning. I um, uh, said to the folks as we were starting to sing, you know, the famous hymn, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven, um, which has the final verse, angels in the heights adore him. I said, look, it's not often that you're actually able to sing those words, angels in the heights adore him, while there are actual angels looking down at you from the heights, the incredible carved roof of the, of the top of Westminster Hall, intentionally put there by those who designed Parliament to remind folks where ultimate authority lies. And the incredible thing is that because the posture of many people that morning, we had more parliamentarians at that service that morning than we've ever had, 160 from the House of Commons, 30 from the House of Lords, an incredible number. And folks were on their knees and being reminded where ultimate authority lies. Many of the MPs said to me, look, that is the first time in three years that I've stopped and taken a breath and reflected in a place of beauty having space to do that. And, you know, many of you will know what happened the next morning and what Sajid David did later that day in sending a resignation letter and quoting from the experience and saying he'd been inspired to do it. When God is given the place he deserves, incredible things can happen. Nation-shaking things can happen. So come to bring encouragement and maybe bring you an assistant. Um, and... Uh, now that he is looking for a job. So we're going to go back to the passage. If you've got the passage around, I want to highlight some things. Steve has very kindly lent me his iPad here. And I wanted to, um, I wanted to if you can throw that up, Steve, I wanted to underline something. Because as, as you read through, it's possible to miss just how clear Paul is being in his, in his letter writing uh, to, the, to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do you think he's trying to make a point here? And in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. That's another kind of totalitarian word there, supremacy, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What incredible words. It's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. This supremacy is total. 
This ultimate authority is total. Yet often with our Western mindsets, we hear phrases like this from Scripture. We think about being made in the image of this invisible God who has authority over all things. And sometimes we shrink his power down. And that's why I want us to watch a little video clip that Steve's going to kick off for us right now. A group of spies once tried to trap Jesus, asking, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? In other words, are you a revolutionary, opposed to Roman rule, or are you a compromiser, supporting Roman rule? He refuses to be tricked into giving a simplistic answer, and instead asks for a coin, asks his own question, and then famously declares, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's. Now, we hear those words with our Western mindsets and think, ah, easy. Let Caesar look after all the practical, logistical, political stuff and let God and his people get on with all the spiritual stuff. The Sunday morning stuff, prayers, hymns, invisible things, that's God's turf. Taxation, roads, healthcare, that's Caesar's turf. How convenient to have that separation. None of that awkward mixing of religion and politics. But for those listening to Jesus in the first century, there's not a chance they would have heard Jesus' statement that way. For the Hebrews, body, soul and spirit were not separate entities. Life was one. For example, the temple wasn't just a place where you worshipped. It was a civic centre looking after many aspects of communal life. For the Hebrews, their religious leaders were also their political leaders. So when we talk about what is God's and what is Caesar's, we're not talking about two separate realms where God has jurisdiction in the sacred and Caesar has jurisdiction in the secular. It's not like this. It's more like this. Caesar has a small delegated area of authority within the context of God's overall authority. He is the supreme creator who is reconciling all things in heaven and earth to himself. Jesus reiterated this when he told Pilate that he would have no authority unless it had been given you from above. Note that he doesn't dispute that Pilate has real authority, but he reminds him where it comes from. So God has an opinion on everything, including taxes, because he is in authority over all of it. As the ex-Dutch Prime Minister and theologian Abraham Kuyper said, there is not one square inch of creation over which the Lord Christ does not cry, it is mine. Surely we're convinced about it now. All these little points in scripture where it becomes clear that we are talking about all things. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. And what does it mean to think about Jesus being the image of the invisible God? What does it therefore mean for us to think about being image bearers? And those, those words, those words have been made in the image of God resonate for us because we go right back to the start of scripture. Genesis chapter one, verse 26, God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the animals, all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. 
male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Again, it's pretty clear. It's about everything, every day, everywhere. It's about everything. Again, it's starting to feel exhausting, isn't it? And those words we have turned to many times, those are words that we know, that call that Adam and Eve received. We've especially returned to those words in recent years as we've thought about our responsibility in creation and as we've thought about how badly we've treated creation and how we need to re-emphasize that stewardship, that call into public leadership. But my thought as we think about being made in his image, called to image him to his world. Have we spent so long looking at the what of this verse that we've forgotten the when of this verse? This call to public leadership, this call to stewardship of creation, that's a wonderful call and a great responsibility that we like to step into, but have we forgotten when it actually happens? Any thoughts? When, when does this call, Genesis chapter one, when does that happen? Audience participation here, you're allowed. When does it happen? It happens every day. That call happens to us every day. But when did this, the, the specific call to Adam and Eve happen? It happened at a very interesting point in history. The very beginning. Anything else come to mind of this interesting call to sort out the world? To look after it? Where I'm going with this, to put you out of your misery, where I'm going with this is this call happened before the fall. It happened before anything went wrong. This call into public leadership, this call to be responsible for all things, all of creation, imaging his rule and reign because he's about all things. This call happened before anything went wrong, before there's any dysfunction. It would appear that even perfection needs managed, as John and Joe have told me <laughs> from their experience. It, it would appear that even perfection needs managed. It's, it's an incredible thing that they are called into this work before anything goes wrong. So their call is not just about sorting out the dysfunction. It's not just about spotting a problem and not seeing the fallenness, seeing where sin has wrecked things and seeing how we need to go and sort it out. It's actually this holy calling it's divine vocation that's not actually contingent on there being something to sort out. And that's a hugely important thing. You might think, oh, that's just theological semantics, Andy. But having been in the world of politics for 20 years, believe me, it's really not. Because you, if you get involved in politics just to try and sort some stuff out, just to practically get things done, the first time you don't manage to get them done, the first time you get knocked down by the toxicity of social media, most of the time, you stop trying because you weren't able to get the thing done that you thought you were able to get done. And I'm sure that's true in many of your places of work or your homes as well. We can get knocked back because things don't work out. We don't manage to fix the thing that we wanted to fix. I hate not being able to fix stuff around our house. I'm useless at DOI. I get so frustrated. But our call is not just about sorting out the world. It is about imaging his perfect rule and reign, representing him to the world. And sometimes that will look like winning, and sometimes it will look like losing. This is not just a pragmatic call to get stuff done. And it really matters. It really matters if that is your 
springboard into public service in any place, in education, in the media, in the police, in anywhere. Because if you believe you've got a divine calling, a holy vocation to be involved every day, everywhere, that changes what happens whenever things go wrong. You don't go, oh, this isn't working. I'm not having an impact here. And the other impact of knowing that it's a holy calling means you're less likely to be sitting back and resting back and thinking, well, actually, do you know what? I'm here because of my education. I'm here because of the school I went to. I'm here because of my skills and my background and the arrogance that comes with that. Lord, give us more leaders in our nation that know this holy calling, that know this divine vocation, that they are called to this work before anything went wrong, not because of their expertise, but because they are children of God. Amen? It's a wonderful thing to be imaging his rule and reign. It's an incredible privilege, but it's also something that's hard to get our heads around. We know that Jesus was the image, the perfect image of the invisible God. We read those words right now, but we don't stop to think. We, it's, it's so far from our heads. When we stop and look in the mirror in the morning, do you, is the first thing you think when you look in the mirror, I am made in the image of the invisible God. It's not the first thing I think in the morning. It's actually, it's rare I look in a mirror in the morning, as you, as you can probably see. But you know, it's, not the first, it's often not the first thing we think of because that image, sadly, through our lives gets blurred. It gets, it's like a mirror or like an old picture in the loft that's left behind. It gets dirty and it gets maybe cracked and that image of God gets distorted slightly. And so we stop believing that we are made in the image of God. And the sad thing is that that stops us believing that other people are made in the image of God. So we stop looking out for the image of God in them and we start to other them and think that they're not even human and that's how things come apart we are made in the image of God. Now, Steve has very kindly given me his iPad um, to play with. So uh, do you remember physics classes at school? I used to love physics classes, and we used to draw these diagrams. That's a lens. And do you remember objects? Oh, no. How come that's still there? Oh, we have a buffering issue. <laughs> we may have to abandon this plan. I could hold it up here, and you could just look at it. <laughs> you can probably see Anyway, you know, at school where you used to draw these diagrams as lenses and you had the object on one side, which then got refracted through the lens uh, and went like that and then became a bit smaller over here where the image was. Yeah, you remember all that sort of, you remember that idea. And the whole idea is, you remember, you also probably used to, did anybody else while you were at school realize that the sun's really quite powerful? And if you get your, take your glasses off and you get the sun, you can get a little spot on a piece of paper. You can actually make, maybe make the paper burn into fire or you can actually, you know, persecute insects which is what my mates used to do at school, you know, try and chase them around and try and, try and get them. But you do, it's, it's incredible. But it's, what, what an incredible thought to think of this incredible big ball of gas and hydrogen and helium 93 million miles away. It can be represented by a little circle on that page. Similarly, it is an incredible thought to think that God in all his incredible supreme power can be represented by a little old us. I mean, how many dimensions is that going down? Usually from an object to an image, it's going down from three dimensions to two. You know, the sphere of the sun down to just a little circle, three dimensions to two. Think about a movie. You go and watch a movie and, and you know, it's, it's obviously been shot by a camera in, real world, in the real world in three dimensions, but then it's all onto two dimensions on a flat screen. So it is that thing, but it's also not that thing. It's a representation of that thing. It's a demonstration of that thing. It's an image, and that's, that's what we're called to do. We aren't God, but incredibly, we are called to represent 
his image. And we're made in his image. It's in us. It's not just something we have to go looking for. It's, it's divine DNA. You know, if, you, if, you, if we were a stick of rock and somebody like cut through us, they, they would see it. <laughs> they would see his divine DNA all the way through it. It's an incredible thought. We are made in his image. That's why what we're talking about is possible. That's why reaching out, as, as we sang earlier, reaching out and wanting these moments of the Holy Spirit to impact our different workplaces, the places where we spend every day, it's possible because it's not on us. We are wired for this stuff. We actually can't stop it steaming out of us. And it doesn't matter if we're Christians or we're not. We're all made in the image of God. This stuff happens sometimes whether we like it or not, even whether we're aware of it or not. Incredible privilege to be his, but we are called to demonstrate that future perfection. Is, this, is that going to work, Steve, do you think? Shall I abandon that plan? Anyway, I'll show you all the diagrams some other day. Beautiful, beautiful, the whole set of beautiful doodles. But um, the, one of the things that I've become increasingly concerned about in the world of politics, as people lose track of the fact that that incredible Genesis 1 call happened before the fall, as people lose track that we're made in his image, and we lose track of the fact that calling happened before anything went wrong. You see, all of our lives, all of this time, we are realizing that he is supreme, and that this call into stepping into his incredible gift, his incredible gift, makes us those who demonstrate, demonstrate that future perfection, demonstrate that perfect rule and reign. In short, we are made in his image. We are called to govern because he governs. He's passionate about governance, so that's why he calls us into governance. That's why he calls us into leadership in the public realm in whatever sphere we find ourselves. We govern because he is passionate about governing. He is passionate about how society is ordered all the way through the Old Testament. Whether it's Jubilee, Sabbath, whether it's the way the New Testament church organized themselves, you can see that God is passionate about how society is ordered. And we are called to image that rule and reign. We are called to demonstrate that perfection. But the word demonstrate is a really important word. Because sometimes in our functional, pragmatic, utilitarian age, we can get drawn into thinking that it's all about sorting out the problems. It's all about sorting out the stuff, that the invisible stuff doesn't matter. But we are called to demonstrate that future perfection. We're not called to build the kingdom like some, you know, like set of stairs in a kind of a progressive secular utopia eventually getting to perfection. We're called to demonstrate that future perfection, to demonstrate that future rule and reign. I don't know, we'll go back to, not physics this time, we'll go back to chemistry. Does anybody remember when your chemistry teacher got little bits of metal and exposed them to the air, to oxygen, like sodium, magnesium, they would just go, colors, green, purple, pink. It was, I loved it. We had a crazy uh, chemistry teacher called Mr. Semple who just liked setting things on fire constantly. But he would demonstrate what those reactions were like. So the sodium becomes sodium oxide, magnesium became magnesium oxide, beautiful colors. And those were incredible demonstrations of what would be going on in a huge industrial plant somewhere. But it's not that they weren't real. 
the sodium was still connecting with oxygen and becoming sodium oxide. There was still something going on, just like Jesus' healings. They were a demonstration of the future perfection, this eternity that we're all going to enjoy. They were a demonstration. They were a signpost to what's going to be going on forever, that future perfection. It doesn't mean they weren't real. They were small. He didn't heal everybody in the village. Sometimes he moved on. Jesus demonstrated that future perfection. What he did, he, his healings, his world, words of knowledge, his deliverances, they demonstrated that future perfection. We are demonstrating the kingdom, not building it. So yes, we are involved in the systems and structures of our world, but we are there to show beautiful moments, not to necessarily build it by our own efforts. We are there to be present so that we can be open to the Holy Spirit, to know and be there at those moments. And people who are in my line of work who are trying to connect Christianity and faith often talk about how Daniel and Esther and Joseph were involved in politics and they were involved in leadership. But what they often ignore is that all those folks were involved in leadership because of something really quite crazy and supernatural happening. There were words of knowledge. There were prophecies and dreams that were interpreted. Those people weren't just in the right place at the right time. They were in the right place at the right time, on their knees, hearing from God, hearing and being available to the supernatural so that demonstration was possible, so that when called upon, they could demonstrate that future perfection. They were demonstrating, not building. And sometimes we take the weight of the world on our shoulders, especially when we're thinking about, it's about everything, it's about every day, it's about everyone. And we think, oh gosh, this, we've, got, oh, we've got to be into trafficking, and we've got to be into homelessness, and we've got to be into this, and we've got to be like, oh, that's, everything's a bit big, God. Yet we follow this incredible person called Jesus who didn't meet every need who didn't heal everyone in the village. He only did what he saw the Father doing because of that intimate connection that he had with him. Knowing that he was the perfect image of the invisible God, knowing that he was made in the image of his Father. One of the times in my life that I've known I've been made in the image of my Father was when I was a lot younger when I was uh, on a Saturday afternoon, it was the highlight of my, of my week when my dad would come into the house and he would say to me, Andrew, it's time for you to help me wash the car. And I, I would swell with pride because you know, my dad needed my help to wash the car. And I used to love it. I was only you know, six or seven at the time, got my little cagoule on, soap, bucket, sponge, rinsing, working away. And it was just glorious, suds everywhere. And it was this really, really happy memory for years and years and years until a few years ago, I was sat in a church on a Sunday morning and the preacher was talking about how he'd been washing the car with his son the previous day. And I was like, and I sat up in my seat and I was like, oh, I remember that. That was so gorgeous. That's great. I remember that happened to me too. And I was just, you know, all engaged. And the preacher said, he said, yes, I was washing the car with my son yesterday. And you know what? It was a nightmare. <laughs> he kicked the bucket over. He got a stone in the sponge and it scraped the paintwork and the whole process took a whole lot longer than it should have. And I was like, oh. I was like, it was like the carpet had been like pulled out from under my world. <laughs> this beautiful memory was suddenly trashed and I was left there sitting in this pew going like, well, hang on, well, I mean, but then what, why, why did my dad ask for my help? And, but very, I guess, slowly and 
beautifully it came to me, as it's already come to you, that obviously my dad asked for my help washing the car because he simply wanted me to be where he was. He wanted me to be doing what he was doing. He wanted me to be getting up to what he was getting up to. He wanted to be getting to know me in the midst of a shared task. And you can see the analogy. Similarly, our Heavenly Father all across this world is healing the sick, as we've been hearing. He's bringing sight to the blind. He's releasing the oppressed. And he's simply crying out for us to be there with him, getting to know him in the context of a shared task and getting to know him. Because it was a pretty profound experience for me to realize that I was not needed. And for many of us who are activists and professionals and people who like sorting out the world and who like feeling useful and like getting things done, sometimes it's a really hard thing for us to hear that our call is not just about sorting the world, that actually our call happened before anything went wrong. Because actually sometimes we get so much of our identity from sorting out those things. I wonder if some of us today need to know that our call to be involved in this world happened before anything went wrong. And that we simply have a father who is reaching out to us and saying, would you come join me? Help me wash the car of this broken world. And might it be really sobering for us to realize that, that we are not needed. And important for us to realize, for some of us, that we are not needed. That's a theological dead end. You know, God does not need our help. He could click his fingers and do whatever he wants. He is supreme. That's where we get back to this all things thing. He could do whatever he desires. But incredibly, he chooses to partner with us and to use us so that we can get to know him. It's about the relationship as much as it's about anything that we'll ever get done. And we get to know him because that's where he is. And as much as you've done it to the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me, Matthew 25. We meet him in the hands and the eyes and the faces of the lost, the poor, the lonely, and the needy, the, the lonely rich of our world. That's where we meet him. And it will be sobering to realize that we are not needed, but it will be beautiful to realize that we are wanted. We are wanted. He wants us involved. And it's been my privilege over the course of the last 15, 20 years to see so many people in the realm of politics step into that calling, knowing, knowing that it is a divine calling and a holy vocation. And, and you're probably sitting here thinking, well, that's not my world. And fair enough. Maybe God might be nudging you into that direction. You never know. In which case, come and talk to me afterwards. But there are different areas that we're all called into. And thankfully, we don't have to do it all. One of the diagrams I was going to draw was a diagram of like a big circle of all the things that Jesus could have done in his life all the places he could have gone, all the people he could have healed, all the things he could have said, and then a little, little circle that says, with a J in it that says, that's actually what he did get up to. So if that's our savior, if that's our model, then that's what our life should be. All these things that we could do, but this is just the little thing. These are the things which we see the Father doing, and which we hear the Spirit calling us to do. What are those specific callings? Where are those specific places? And this is why we return to being on our knees. This is why being on our knees is so important. This is why our posture as we go out every day, everywhere, 
our posture is so important, and that's the, the testimony of this national prayer breakfast that you're about to see some of. That's why our, the posture that we are on our knees, expecting the miraculous, expecting the Holy Spirit to speak, expecting things to happen. If that is not our posture, if we do not start in that place of humility, if we do not start at that place of him being acknowledged, of having the ultimate authority, being reminded by a, an angel in a roof, or being reminded by something we draw on our wall, being reminded by somebody somewhere at the start of the day that his is the ultimate authority, that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. These are visible and invisible things. These are principalities and powers and political systems and structures. One day they will all bow the knee to him, but at the moment they don't just yet. So we're called to be there in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the dysfunction, in the midst of the brokenness. So I wonder, as we finish today and as we show you this video clip, Bob's going to lead us as we respond, I wonder, might you be feeling a nudge and a call to know that you are not needed? That actually this call to every day, everywhere, everything, everyone, might not be just as knackering and as tiring as you think, that it might actually be a bit more joyful, that it might actually be a bit more fun, that it might look like having your feet up, but then just being attentive enough that the one moment where you get to speak to your boss and make something happen that is ridiculous. Just like that one moment that Sajid Javid started an avalanche because he was on his knees before the ultimate authority. One moment, one letter started an avalanche. And I wonder, might there be a call for us to be attentive and in his presence in the midst of our places? And I'll, let, I'll shut up now and let Bob take over from there. But we're going to kick off the video so you can just see, you can experience a little bit of it for yourself, what God did that morning. And, and I believe so strongly that he moved very powerfully that morning in that place. And I believe he's moving really powerfully in this place, as he already has been. And Lord, we just welcome you again and ask you to challenge us and hold us and challenge us and call us. Come, come and be prayed for. Come and even if you don't know what's going on, Come, come, come and wash the car with your dad. Amen.
God is stirring something in your heart and what Andy was saying. There's something moving in you. You know God's putting his finger on something for you. Um, 
Maybe it's through one of the stories that Andy shared.